cool. All right. Well, Atamaria te farikarakia. Our welcome along to Parklands uh, this morning. If you're joining us in person today, it's quite weird looking out at a congregation of masks. It's very hard to read people's emotions. Um, but what a beautiful time to be able to come together. Uh, I've really just loved the, the corporate worship, and sometimes. It's not until you don't have it that you realize what you're missing. So Grace and the team, thank you uh, this morning for leading us in that. And if you're joining us uh, on Zoom or Facebook or whatever stream, a particularly warm welcome to you. You get the best of both worlds this morning. Not only do you get church, but you get it from the comfort of your living room. And so welcome to you. Over the last few months uh, as a church, we've been kind of journeying through and looking at what what Parklands may look like in the future. Uh, And we've heard testimonies and stories from different ministry leaders and people in our church about what what God is doing in our midst, Uh, but more importantly, where he may be leading us or shaping us. And I've been deeply, deeply encouraged, story after story about what God is doing in our midst. Uh, Next week, Kim is going to unpack just a little bit of what we've learnt in that time. But for me, one of the things that has really stuck out and one of the things that I have always loved about Parklands as a church is its servant-hearted nature towards the community, the way that it loves and serves the least, the lost, and the lonely in our community, and how that influences uh, what we do as a church in terms of outreach. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, it was our church's 90th anniversary, and in just a couple of years, as a church, we'll be celebrating 100 years of existing. And I remember that time was just a time of honouring a lot of people who had gone before us, people who had made sacrifices um, and just served so that we as a church could exist where we are today. And it's deeply honouring to know that there were people who went before and prayed us into where we are as a church, that they served and loved the community, and because of that, we get to stand where we are today. And so as we go about dreaming and scheming as a church about what may be next, I deeply encourage us that we don't lose this thing, which I believe God has called us to and is at the core characteristic of who we are as a church to love and serve the least, the lost, and the lonely, to have an eye for those outside the four walls of what we see here today. And I'm deeply encouraged by the story of Joseph. For me, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And so what I wanted to do this morning when I was asked this week to preach, I thought, I just want to journey through the story of Joseph. It's one of my favorites. But the reason I really like this story as it echoes what I was just saying about church. Joseph goes through this, this somewhat hard journey, and he, and he goes from realizing life and thinking life is all about him and centers around him to being able to be used by God to humbly and faithfully serve. And so this morning, I don't necessarily want to talk on what service looks like or how we serve, but more I want to encourage us each in our own journey about what it looks like to become servant-hearted. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, can I invite you to turn to Genesis 37. Now, it's quite a long story, so I won't be uh, reading it word for word, uh, but I will pick out different points and read those out. 
And the very first thing we notice about Joseph is that he's not a perfect, well-rounded individual. Joseph came from a very dysfunctional family, yet God still used him and chose to use him. You see, back in those days, it was culturally normal uh, for the eldest in the family to have the most status uh, in the siblings. They would often be entitled to the most inheritance and rule over um, their brothers. For me, as a youngest child, I'm quite encouraged that God often chooses not to go the way of culture and choose the eldest child. And we see that in the story of Joseph. Uh, here, Here is Joseph. He's got a lot of older brothers. Yet we read in Genesis 37 that his dad loved him more than any of the brothers. And to show this love, he clothes Joseph in this ornate, glamorous robe. We read in Genesis 37, Now Israel, Joseph's dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And so he made an ornate robe to him. Now Joseph's brothers did not take kindly to this sort of favoritism. We read on, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated Joseph and could not speak a kind word to him. They were filled with anger and deep wounds of hurt and rejection at the very sight or word of Joseph. And to make the situation even worse, one night Joseph has some dreams. And these aren't just any ordinary dreams. These are dreams directly from God about Joseph's future and his destiny. And in one of these dreams, he sees all the wheat in the world bowing down to him. And in another one, the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to him. And in this particular dream, there's the same amount of stars as Joseph has brothers. Coincidence? And Joseph, being the somewhat unformed, arrogant young man that he is, he decides the best way to approach his dreams is to go and rub it in his brother's face and tell them what he has dreamed about. Now, I don't know what your experience of giving a young person uh, a status of authority or power is, but I reflect back on my life at times where I was given a role, and I'm deeply embarrassed to, to say that it was a case of give me an inch and I would take a mile. I'm reminded in my year 13 year at school, uh, I was honoured to be one of the prefects. Now being a prefect at Shirley Boys came with a very unique responsibility, and that was that we were able to give out detentions to other students. Shirley Boys had very strict rules around uniform, you had to have your socks pulled up and your shirt tucked in, Uh, if you littered you could get a detention, any And there were a lot of things around behaviour which were punishable by detention. And so right at the start of our year 13 year, we had our first prefect meeting, and all of us were issued little green detention books. And to us, this was the best thing since sliced bread. We had some sort of authority over the other students in the school. And so we often used to walk around with our detention books in our pocket, but we wouldn't stuff them in our pocket we would make sure that they were hanging out of our shirt pocket or just out of our side pocket so that anyone who we walked past would notice the green slip and know the power we had to it. And, and I suppose for us, we kind of took this and we ran with it. We, we, we wanted other people to know the power that we had and the authority that we had over them. And we see the same thing in Joseph In his somewhat arrogant state, he goes and tells his brothers about the dream, but 
but rather than realizing what this dream is all about, he just notices the power and the status that comes with it, and he fixates on that. For Joseph, even though he had the calling and he had the dreams to back it up, at this stage in his journey, he failed to have the character and the perspective to see what God was doing. And so Joseph's brothers, as I mentioned, the very side of him got them frustrated and they thought, this cannot carry on. We cannot let Joseph rule over us for the rest of our lives. And so they plot to kill their brother. And they're going through their plan, and at the very final stage of it, they decide that they won't follow through with it, but instead they will sell him into slavery to get him away. And so they take him, and they uh, sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver, and they throw him into a well, and at the, in the very first time in the story, we see Joseph's cloak is ripped from him. The very thing that gave him power and authority, the very thing that signified the love of his father is brutally ripped for him. And we see Joseph alone in the bottom of the well. And the Bible is not very clear about what Joseph is feeling in this moment. But I know if it was me, I would probably feel deeply betrayed and hurt by my brothers. The very people who I was meant to serve have just disowned me and got rid of me. I would imagine there would be some confusion and maybe even some anger towards God. The dreams that God had given Joseph and his reality are two very different things at this stage. And I could imagine he's probably feeling very alone in his situation and not knowing what is next. Church, I want to encourage us firstly this morning, and I know for some of us we may find ourselves in a season like Joseph where what we see is very different to what we thought life would look like. We find ourselves in the bottom of a pit, and we may be hurt, broken, feeling lonely. Can I encourage you that God is still with you in those seasons? We sung Waymaker this morning. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, God, you are making a way. And a preacher I've come to love, Enley Stanley, puts it like this. Your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. And I get it. Sometimes life is painful. Sometimes we find ourselves in a pit and we just are so overwhelmed by the curveballs that life is throwing us. And sometimes we feel so hurt and alone and we don't know where to turn. Sometimes God could not feel further away in a situation. But can I encourage you this morning to not confuse your circumstances with the heart of God. God's heart is always for us. It always has and it always will be. And even though we may not feel it, God loves us. And I know sometimes we wrestle with that. But God, what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing, it feels far from love. God's heart is for us. He always is for us. And what we'll come to learn in the story of Joseph is that if we allow ourselves to have a soft heart in times of hardship, rather than hardening our heart towards things, if we allow ourselves to have a soft, malleable heart, God is able to work our situations for his good. And I'm encouraged all throughout the Old Testament, we see time and time again, heroes of our faith go through hard times. Take Abraham, King David, Isaiah, Moses, even Jesus, each and every one of these people, they had 
an anointing on their life to do great things. But it was several uh, years later for most of these, even decades, where the appointing came. There was, a lag, uh, there was a lag between the anointing and the appointing. And often the road between those two points was never smooth sailing. Take, for example, King David. He was anointed to be king, but some decade later was his appointment to kingship. And the road between was not smooth sailing. It was filled with times of running for his life. It was filled with times hiding in caves, scared for what was next. But that very time between the anointing and the appointing is the thing that prepared him for what he was going to do. And so we see in Joseph's story, he's thrown in this pit and he's confused. He has no idea what is going on. He's sold into the house of Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar was a high up in uh, Pharaoh's household. And he's, and he's thrown into this uh, role of slavery. Now, because God had a calling on Joseph's life, and Joseph was starting to tune in to God, uh, we read that Joseph starts to have a bit more authority in the house of Potiphar. Genesis 39.5 says, From the time he put Joseph in charge of the household, and all, of it, all that it owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. This is an interesting point in the story of Joseph. It's the first time that we really see Joseph start to realize the calling that God has placed on his life. But he's starting to realize that the calling that God had placed and the dreams that God had given him, they weren't necessarily so Joseph would become a big somebody. They were callings and dreams that he would humbly serve other people, to put others first, that he would be a blessing, that he was blessed to be a blessing. And life is starting to look a little bit better for Joseph. He's rising through the ranks in Potiphar's house. It's looking good. When all of a sudden, one day, Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph. And she tries to seduce him into sleeping with her. And Joseph, time and time again, denies the advances of Potiphar's wife to the point where he has no other option but to get out of there. And so Joseph decides that he will escape, but as he's running away, Potiphar's wife reaches out. And for the second time in the story, we see Joseph's cloak is ripped from him. And so Potiphar's wife takes this cloak to Potiphar and falsely accuses Joseph of an act he did not commit. And Potiphar has no choice but to throw Joseph into prison because of the accusation against him. And I think so often in life, and like the story of Joseph, we too are faced with choices around how we act in situations. We have decisions and opportunities in life where we have to use our morals and our values. And like Joseph, sometimes these can cost us. Society doesn't value the same things that it did once. And sometimes it feels like we are swimming upstream against what is culturally normal. But can I encourage you that for Joseph, because he chose the path of integrity, because he chose what was right, God was with him in these situations. Joseph could have very easily slept with Potiphar's wife, and I could imagine it may have been swept under the rug, that he wouldn't have found himself in the prison cell that he is. But because he chose the path of integrity, because he chose the way of God, 
God honoured that decision. Genesis 39.20 says this, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was in there, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and made him responsible for all that he had done. The warden did not, did not pay any attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And one of the things I've always loved about the story of Joseph is the way he responds when he finds himself in the pit or in the prison. You see, if it was me and life had thrown these curveballs to me, I think I would be quite down in myself. I would probably be quite self-focused. I would probably be quite selfish. Joseph dis- Joseph's decision and the way he responds is very different to how I would have responded. Joseph decides that even though life is hard, even though life does not look like what he thinks it would look like, still he chooses to serve. He decides that he's going to serve the prison warden. How can I make your life easier? How can I bless you? What can I do to help you out? Yes, I find myself in a prison. Yes, life is very different. But this is not about me. How can I help you? And unbeknown to Joseph, this whole time that he's in the prison cell is a lesson of what he is going to be led into. It's teaching him lessons that would have been hard to learn anywhere else but under the rule of the prison warden. And so Joseph's in prison, and he meets two other individuals, Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker. And both of these men have dreams that they cannot interpret. And so they ask Joseph, who has had dreams and is quite gifted in, uh, t- in uh, discerning what dreams mean, what, what are our dreams about? And Joseph accurately interprets these dreams to mean that the baker is going to die in three days and that the cupbearer will be restored out of his position in prison and uh, back into Pharaoh's house. And, right, and, and, and just as Joseph interprets it, this very thing happens. The baker is killed after three days and the cupbearer restored to his position. And Joseph just asks one thing of the cupbearer when he gets back in. And that thing is that the cupbearer does not forget Joseph in prison. But for the cupbearer, he gets back to his position of authority and, and little Joseph escapes his mind. It's not until two years later that Pharaoh has a dream And as is normal in that time, Pharaoh gets in all his interpreters and other people to try and interpret these dreams. And none of them can. And then the little cupbearer has this idea, hey, there's that guy, Joseph, in prison. He was quite accurate interpreting my dream. Why don't we get him up to see if he can interpret the dreams? And so they invite Joseph up. And we read in Genesis 41, and this is, this is evidence of the journey that Joseph has been on and, and the way that he has been shaped in those hard times. Genesis 41.16, we read Joseph say this, I cannot interpret your dreams, Potiphar, but God will give you the answers he desires. All of a sudden, Joseph realizes it's not about me. I can't do this by myself. All glory to God for this. I read earlier this week that when we see a good painting, we don't praise the paintbrush, we praise the painter. 
And in this moment, Joseph realizes that he is merely just a paintbrush in God's hand, that he humbles himself to be, allowed, uh, to be able to be used by God. And he accurately interprets these dreams that Pharaoh has, that there'll be seven years of good harvest followed by seven years of famine. And he interprets this dream to mean that in the years of good harvest, they need to stockpile and store some so that when the famine comes, they will have enough resource to get through. And just as it is interpreted by Joseph, there's seven years of good, good harvest. And so Joseph makes his plan and they start storing it away. And it's not until seven years later that the famine hits. And no one else around the place had had the foresight to store away in the good times. And so everyone's starting to run out of resource. And Joseph is elevated to second in charge of Egypt, overseeing this whole thing. And we get to this moment where Joseph's brothers have run out of food where they are. They don't have enough resource to keep on going. And so they decide they'll go to Egypt and see if they can get some food from there. And unbeknown to them, the very person that they approach is their brother that they once threw into slavery. And they come before Joseph, unknowing that it's him, and say, please, please give us some food. And they bow down to him just as the dreams had interpreted. But instead of Joseph rubbing it in their face or repaying evil with evil or turning his nose to them, we read that Joseph responded humbly and he simply just wept in their presence. It says this, Joseph could no longer contain himself before all of his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Four times in his dialogue with his brother, Joseph mentions that he was sent ahead of them. To give context to that, it was very normal in that time for people to send their slaves and their servants ahead on a journey to make sure that the road ahead was safe and that they had somewhere to go. What Joseph is saying here is that you selling me into slavery was God sending me ahead of you. Not so that I would rule over you or have authority, but so that I could prepare and humbly serve you in this moment. That, that, that I, it's not about me. This is not about me, Joseph says. It's so that I can humbly and lovingly serve you. And what a beautiful transformation for Joseph from going, from rubbing it in his brother's face, telling them how great and mighty he is going to be, to a place of weeping and serving and humility. And the thing I love about the story of Joseph is that we see the story of Jesus intertwined in it. They say that Jesus is concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New, and that's very true in the story of Joseph. Joseph was given a dream that he, people would bow down to him, 
Jesus was called to be the king so that people would find salvation. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife and remained sinless. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and remained sinless. Joseph was wrongly accused of a crime he did not commit. Jesus was accused of a crime he did not commit. Joseph was in prison with two other prisoners, one whose life was spared and one who died. Jesus was crucified on the cross with two criminals, one who found eternal life and one who didn't. The story of Jesus is beautifully revealed in the story of Joseph. And I want to come into land with this church. I want all of us here at Parklands to grasp this, that I strongly believe at the very heart of this church and the dreams that God has placed on the hearts is a calling to service to our community. But the thing about getting to a place of service is that it's very rarely a smooth road. I'm encouraged by the stories of our church from the 90th anniversary of the struggle and the hardship that went through it, but the perseverance that people had to continue to serve and seek God in those times. And what a beautiful place we find ourselves in as a church now. I want to encourage us daily to keep walking with God, to press deeper into Him, to abide with Him. When we spend time with God, we can't help but to be more like Him. Humility and servant-heartedness has a name, and His name is Jesus. Humbled in His entry to the earth as a baby, humbled in the lowest position washing His disciples' feet, humbled in death, even death on a cross. And as we spend time walking with God, we can't help but to come to become more like him, more servant-hearted in nature, more humbled. We start to realize that this is never about us. This life does not center around us. We merely humble ourselves to allow God to use us. Over the last few years, I've watched a few of my friends have kids. And there's this beautiful transformation that happens where people go about living their lives to having a kid and realizing that you cannot live life the same way anymore, that you cannot focus on yourself anymore. And God blesses these kids with these little, uh, you know, these parents with these little kids, and they start to realize that actually the best thing that we can do is to, to, is to put, our, put aside our own agenda and humbly serve these kids, even if it means waking up at 2 a.m. to a crying baby or not being able to go to the thing. But what a beautiful journey, and each and every one of them always reflect that it is the best thing that God has ever done, and the best thing that they have ever been through. Yes, it's hard to lay aside your own agenda and put someone else first, but what a way to love. As the worship team come up, I just want to pray, and I want to corporately invite us and encourage us today, that if you are going through a hard time, if you do find yourself in a pit, the beauty of church is that we are here to do life together, that we are here to encourage and walk alongside each other. So in a moment, if you're on Zoom, we'll go into breakout rooms. If you're here, can I encourage you just to get alongside someone and ask them to pray for you? We are all in this together, but I just quickly pray as the worship team get ready. God, I thank you that you have placed us as a church here for such a time as this. I thank you for the dreams and the visions that you have placed on the hearts of people here. And God, at the very heart of any dream or vision from you is a heart of service. 
that we would humbly put aside our own agendas and take up your will, God, to love the least, the lost, and the lonely in our community. Father, I pray for those who find themselves in the pit or in the prison today, like Joseph. I pray that you would be with them. God, that they would experience your presence, that they wouldn't feel alone or isolated, but God, you would surround them with people who love them and journey with them. And God, that they would know that your heart is for them. Even though they don't see it, even though they don't feel it, God, you are making a way. Amen.